this being uh, Mission Sunday, and with this being the end of our Beyond series, um, I asked a friend of mine to come put the exclamation point on today and this series. And this speaker that's going to come up here is a friend of both of our churches. He was a friend to Baseline, a friend to Grace, one of my very closest personal friends, and you're going to love him. Um, Dennis Bachman was the pastor at New Song Church in San Dimas for over 20 years. He and Kelly poured their lives into that community. And, and now currently, Dennis oversees a house church network called Via Cordis. And you actually saw his family on the screen. Um, he's also one of the ministers that we've begun supporting as a church. But, but you're going to love him. Dennis just came back from Thailand, Nepal, and Japan where he hosted a missions conference and training seminars for local pastors and missionaries. So, Dennis, thank you for being here. Come on up and, and bring the series to a close. Would you guys welcome Dennis Bachman? I love you. It is my great privilege to be with you this morning. Not only because you embrace these values of faith, hope, and love, but what I would call distinctive virtues that are part of your congregation, values like honesty, humility, and loyalty. See, what I see in you are wide open arms. To embrace anyone walking through the doors of your church exactly as they are, meeting them where they're at, and introducing them to this deep intimacy with Jesus Christ. I think it's the posture of believers. And I pray that God would take these cherished virtues and impact great change as a result of your faithfulness. See, it isn't about pretending to be perfect as we walk into the church doors, right? That's a facade anyway. There isn't a person in the building that doesn't need a savior in Jesus. And if we can humble ourselves and admit to that and confess that, then we begin on this path of being used by God to touch people's lives around us. And my prayer is that God would today capture not only our heart and imagination, but the possibility of thinking, what might God want to do in and through our church as we give ourselves to him? Okay, so let me tell you a secret. Uh, back in the years when I was at New Song, it was a rare occasion when I would be able to sneak away from my weekend responsibilities. But when I did, I would hide out and visit one of two churches. Horizon Christian Fellowship, later Baseline, or Grace Church of Laverne. And why did I do that? Because the people that I found in those two churches loved Jesus with all of who they were. So imagine my thrill when I learned that these two beloved communities would merge together as an impact player for Jesus Christ in the vicinity on the 210 corridor, what could happen as a result of the leaders of these two beloved communities coming together, sharpening their skills, partnering in collaborative effort to make it happen? Man, I was thrilled. Now, I had a little bit of a caution. See, I'm aware of the statistic of church mergers that when churches merge, one plus one equals one. Like, over time, the new entity kind of pairs down to be about the size of the larger of the two churches before merger. So my statement to the leadership was, hey, my prayer is this, that it wouldn't be one plus one equals one, but in God's math, one plus one equals three or five 
or nine because you guys were committed to be used of God to display his hope in the world around us. And you weren't going to be inwardly focused, merely gazing at your own belly buttons, but we're going to be used by God out there to see people reached for Jesus because it eked out of who you were. And you tasted and seen Jesus' love so much that you couldn't help but share the passion with others. Now, can you can tell I'm a little bit passionate about disciple making? That's actually why they asked me to speak today. It wasn't to give this kind of intellectual assent through even scripture about disciple making, or even to appeal to your pragmatism, like giving you practical steps of how to go about sharing faith, but rather a message that speaks to your heart. My prayer is more than that. I, I hope to appeal to your passions, because it was that passion that did take me to Thailand, Nepal, and, and Japan, right? Colson joined me for the two, first two legs. Thank you, Colson, for being here in support of me, right? Where we went to Thailand. Really, my goal there, I've been asked to produce leadership materials and, and theology materials for their network of leadership across these Axis-restricted nations of Asia, where it's illegal to be a follower of Jesus Christ and to practice that in a public manner. And so what we would do is smuggle in resources to these underground house church movements and provide them training resources. I went with the eye to see where were the points of traction? Where is the Holy Spirit movement? Uh, what might we do to get practical resources into their hands? The third light of the trick was Japan, also a highly atheistic nation. Ours there was to encourage our feet on the ground. We have a number of house churches that meet in one of the suburbs of Tokyo. And uh, what we intended to do is not only bolster the spirit of the discouraged missionaries there, but to onboard three new members of that team so that they can be sharpened for their impact for Christ. Man, it was a beautiful time. Uh, the middle leg was, of course, to Nepal. And Colson and I and others got to bring in Tibetan students, train them in disciple-making practices so that they can go on in life and return to Tibet to reach their nation for Jesus. Talk about putting your lives on the line. Man, what a powerful time. Now, truth be told, during the trip, we did take opportunity to, to go on a little trek, right? I mean, you're next to the Himalayas. Beautiful, God's country, right? So we and our team got together, uh, and, and the day, the morning of our trip up, it, we walked out to this Jeep that sat about six people comfortably. Um, there were 10 of us. And so, um, <laughs> so we squeeze into this thing. What we didn't know was that this trip up to the peak where we were hiking was eight hours long. Now picture eight hours in a cramped Jeep, but eight hours on a Jeep track to the Himalayas meant this. We weren't traveling on roads. They were actually hiking trails um, devised as roads. In fact, the rains had washed them out so they would bring up bulldozers just to widen it just a little bit so you could actually make the course up, right? So picture Indiana Jones times 10. We have video footage of this where we're bouncing. It's hilarious. So if you get a chance for me to show you a clip. Uh, so here's the deal. About seven and a half hours in, we're suffocating for lack of oxygen. We come across yet another bulldozer widening the road. 
And I just had to get a little bit of blood in my legs. So I opened the door, stepped out. The guy behind me did as well. And we just kind of stretched our legs for a second until we hit the bulldozer. You didn't know how long they were going to take, but they finished up what they were doing. And then we can get back on the thing. So he moves out of the way. We jump back in the Jeep and we make our way up. What I didn't realize is upon arrival, when I went to look for my phone that had fallen during the bouncy trip, um, but I couldn't reach down to get it because we were squeezed in, had somehow, when we stepped out of the vehicle, took the trip with us. So I lost my phone until somehow in the network of the Himalayas, I don't even have a fathom, I don't even know, right? They got word to us that they found my phone. So how they found my phone was actually the caterpillar, not the warm, fuzzy kind. The big thing found my phone, and they said, hey, that's something. So they pulled it and then got a hold of it. So anyway, here's my phone. Here's the remarkable story. When we picked it up, and you turned it on once we got powered to it, you could actually hear the tone as though it's working, right? Couldn't see anything, of course. Um, and I've chosen not to retrieve it, but, uh, but anyway, here it is. And lest this come off as a big evangelistic commercial for the iPhone. <laughs> oh, come on. We're excited to share our news of the latest technologies, people, right? What if we got as passionate to share the news of Jesus? What if we had to tell because it was too important, too, we were so filled that we had to share, Right? Well, here's why I tell the story. Unbeknownst to us, we went home the way we did in order to retrieve this rather than the other route that we had intended. Uh, but what we didn't know was what, what God was teeing up. See, in the retreat center where we stayed, we interacted with our waiter and one other worker who had left to descend the hill about a half an hour before we did. What we didn't know is that because of the rain-washed trails that we were kind of riding along, as their motorcycle spun out and they were hanging off a cliff, holding onto their bike for their dear life from a drop below. And we got the frantic phone call en route to pick up a phone, and God had a different plan. And so here's a picture of us, Colson, I, a couple of the guys on our trip, unwrapping the rope that tied our stuff and retrieving these guys off the side of a cliff to the thanks and glory of God. Now, why do I say that? About two hours later, when we got down to the first village that we arrived at, they got their bike worked on. Uh, Pimba, one of the guys, an art professor in Kathmandu, who owned the bike, said, well, I can't take my bike. Can I jump in the Jeep with you? <laughs> sure, we've got room. <laughs> so he jumps in. Colson's next to me. He's the artist on our trip. And for four hours in a trek home, we engaged life that was really life. A God-send conversation that talked about what really mattered, right? Came to find out Pimba was a monk for six years or so. And had been kicked out of the monk. That's a different story. But anyway, now he wasn't going to come to Jesus necessarily in the Jeep ride. But you know that every other member of that Jeep was praying for that conversation. And our prayer is that that seed that got planted by God in his intent will be carried on to completion. Amen? Now, too often, we put upon our shoulders the pressure and weight of it. We're part of God's plan. 
and what the Holy Spirit is doing as he goes before us, works behind us, works through us to reach people for him. He is not far from any of us. We've got to live with the type of vigilance that anticipates the good things he'll do and trust him for it. And too often we reverse that scenario and put it on ours. But I'm here to say that, God, that people don't need our best, they need God's best. And we're mere instruments of his hope and grace and love. I think it was A.W. Tozer that said, in our churches, about 95% of what we do can carry on whether the Holy Spirit shows up or not. Versus what we read in the New Testament where 95% of what they did could not happen unless the Holy Spirit did. Well, I want to live with that type of adventure. I want to think beyond our imagining, right? Because our God can do far beyond, exceedingly abundantly more than we can even think or imagine. And I don't know about you, I'm a pretty imaginative guy. I'm a visionary, right? I can dream big on such things. And it doesn't even scratch the surface of God, what God wants to do. So let's pay attention to him because I don't want us to mince an ounce of what he's up to. Join me in Acts 17, if you will. I just want to take a brief glance at Paul, who for us serves as an example of a steward of God's resources in reaching the people he could. He was so faithful. And we're going to pick his uh, activities up, his missionary journeys. I know you've been looking at different segments of his missionary journeys in recent weeks. We're going to pick up in the second missionary journey. He's just left a city because of an uprising there. Timothy and Silas are kind of staying there, finishing up the work, and Paul's being sent ahead so we can get the guy out from the trouble, right? He's going to go on to Athens, and he's going to wait for Silas and Timothy before they start the next leg of their ministry. And that's right where we're going to pick up Paul, because in that passage, we read this. Now, while Paul was waiting for them at Athens, his spirit was provoked within him as he saw that the city was full of idols. So he reasoned in the synagogue with the Jews, his people, right, where he often did as he walked into the city, he'd start with the Jews in the synagogue, with the Jews and the devout persons, and then in the marketplace every day with those who happened to be there. Don't you love Paul? Like he walks into the city, he's so torn up by the idolatry, by the, the dilemma that the people are living under that he can't wait for his friends to show up, he's got to share. So he's there in the synagogue and in the marketplace, whomever shows up, I'm going to be the, a blessing machine for God. Because I know that as a good Jew, he knew the promise that God had made hundreds of years prior to Abraham, that you will be my people, I will be my, your God, and you will serve as a blessing even to nations. And so here's Paul living it out as a blessing machine, getting him out from underneath the idolatrous practices because he knew that wasn't life that was really life. And he had to so share that he shared the good news readily with anyone that was there. Do you know that good news is good news for everyone? Like how we conduct our lives really matters as we bring hope to the ones who are despairing and in life's overwhelm. Those that are struck with anxieties and, and discouragement of various sorts. 
I wonder, just wonder, in the placement of Hope City Church near the Claremont Colleges, how you might be a voice for the next generation that struggles with mental illness and dilemma. How you, in tangible forms of love, could reach the heart of a student. I wonder, just wonder, in the placement here next to this beautiful Claremont Trail, if instead of a gate and a fence, we tore that and put down a red carpet, give them a parking place, a bottle of water, and a question of the day, or a a message of the day that they ponder as they walk the trail. I wonder, just wonder, if we did loving gestures to shut-ins in Claremont Manor, Claremont Place, or Pilgrim's Place, and we cared for people such a tangible form with technology to show the messages you deliver, which are brilliant, by the way. I love what this church produces. But what if we became the tangible hands and feet of Jesus Christ in Claremont? What might God accomplish if we got on page with him? See, one of our great honors is to partner with him in his work in the world to overcome evil with good. As we serve as blessing machines, conduits of his grace and love, the life change that results is akin to Jesus' own efforts to come to reach the blind, the deaf, the hurting. And if we can touch the lives of those in life's angst and overwhelm, how might we be used of God for the good that he intends to bring about? Hope City Church, you are here as a gateway to the 210 corridor. I love your prayer. Now marry that with an integrity of passion and motivation to care for those that God puts in your footsteps to touch the lives in front of you where you work, study, live, and play. Who it is that God's called you to. Paul couldn't hold back. Like he was distressed by what he saw, motivated, passionate to bless those around him. And he couldn't hold it back, hold it in, shut up, or sit down until it got done. So he did the thing. Can we be motivated similarly? Picking up from there, following Paul, in verse 18, it says this. Some of the Epicurean and Stoic philosophers also conversed with him, right? Those were the leading thought schools of the day. The Epicureans believed in the Greek pantheon, right? But they believed they were a distant other. They didn't really interact with us in life. They were just gods to be feared and known about. But their big goal in life was to avoid pain and engage pleasure. This was the Epicurean teaching of the time. The Stoic philosophers believed more kind of in a new agey deal where the gods were pantheistic. They were all around, but Life's goal was just to endure life's hardship and kind of make it through. Neither of them had a thought of the afterlife. And so Paul comes in with this teaching about Jesus and the hope of an eternal future with him. And what? So they begin interacting with him, right? Some said, what does this babbler wish to say? like some of you when I walked in this morning and you saw what I was teaching, right? <laughs> what does this babbler have to say to us, right? Others said, he seems to be a preacher of foreign divinities because he was preaching Jesus and the resurrection. And they took him and brought him to the Areopagus saying, may we know what this new teaching is that you are presenting. For you bring some strange things to our ears. We wish to know therefore what these things mean. 
Now all the Athenians and foreigners who lived there would spend their time in nothing except telling or hearing something new. Like lots of our college campuses, right? Verse 22, so Paul, standing in the midst of the Areopagus, said, men of Athens, I perceive that in every way you are very religious. For as I passed along and observed the objects of your worship, I found also an altar with this inscription, to the unknown God. What therefore you worship as unknown, this I proclaim to you. What's Paul doing? He's meeting them right where they're at. He's not with furrowed brow and crossed arms looking at them, you heathens are going to hell. He's actually addressing them right where they were at and building a bridge for a hearing of the good news of Jesus Christ and in that bridge building, listening to what the Holy Spirit was already at work doing in them. See, these were a spiritual people. Most scholars would say there were about 10,000 people living in Athens at that time. Well, you know there were about 30,000 idols in that same city at the time. There were more idols than people. I mean, this is a spiritually rich opportunity. And Paul, like in his, as he went about, he cared more about the people and their hearing of the message. He was going to bridge, build a bridge however he could. Right? He was committed, devoted, passionate to build this bridge to accommodate them wherever they were at. And he paid attention to what the Holy Spirit was speaking and setting up. And he didn't want to miss the opportunity. He was attuned to them and cared enough to kind of take even their mode of worship, even this idol that was given to an unknown God. They didn't want to miss anyone, right? <laughs> so they proclaimed this to an unknown God. He says, but that's the God you need to know. And he, he sterilized it and then infused that with the meaning of the good news of Jesus and proclaimed to them the hope that they could have in Jesus. I think we could take a lesson from that, right? It's the Holy Spirit that we're paying attention to not how well-versed we are, are articulate in our apologetics. We're actually paying attention to the person in front of us and what God's speaking to them because he's the great evangelist, not us. When I was sitting next to Pimba, we were sitting next to Pimba, I was looking to see what Holy Spirit was saying to him because I wanted to meet with God in that moment and join him in that work and trust to the Holy Spirit that he was on page with him. And if I was attentive, I would respond and react exactly how God wanted me to. Does that make sense? I think the goal of us as we go around beyond the walls of this church is actually to pay attention to the people in front of us and to what the Holy Spirit is saying to them. Meaning paying attention to the space in between us because it's in that space that God wants to do his greatest work of reaching the heart for him. And that will eke out of us as we walk passionately and we're motivated to disband all of the obstacles that stand in the way from a person coming to Jesus Christ. I love the illustration, Chris, that you gave a couple weeks ago where you had these obstacles. And our role is to remove as many of those obstacles, maybe just one, but remove the obstacles that stand in the way of someone to coming to faith in Jesus Christ. Paul said it this way, we destroy the arguments that stand against the knowledge of God. Right? And he lived that out by becoming all things to all people in order to reach some. To the Jews, he became like a Jew. To the Athenians here, he became like them so that he can build this bridge and live out the truth of what God had in his heart to share. 
And so that, and the Athenians needed to hear. What might we do to reach the people that God puts in our pathway so that they don't miss out the blessing that God has for them in life? Let's land the plane with this. Picking up in, in verse 24. The God who made the world and everything in it, being Lord of heaven and earth, does not live in temples made by man. He's so far beyond that, right? He can't be found in these idols that you worship. He can't be contained there. That's our, our projecting upon him small thinking. He's way beyond that. Nor is he served by human hands as though he needed anything, since he himself gives to all mankind life and breath and everything. See, the Greek's mode was working from man towards God. Paul was turning on that's head and saying, oh, no, 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 no. God approaches you. God's will is what matters. He can't be contained by our small thinking and what we project upon him, but rather he's ever present reaching to us that we may find him. Paul says it this way, and he made from one man every nation of mankind to live on the face of the earth, having determined allotted periods of time and boundaries of their dwelling place. Like God puts people where he wants them, when he wants them, right there for purpose and cause. Do you believe that? I mean, do you believe it to the measure that you've been placed in a workplace, uh, in a home, resident, neighborhood, where you study, where you play, purposefully because God's will is at place in those very spaces and he wants you as the instrument of his hope and grace to be a blessing to those you interact with? Do you believe it at that level? Paul did. And he did it in verse 27, that they should seek God and perhaps feel their way forward towards him and find him. Yet, God, he is actually not far from each one of us. For in him we live and move and have our being. As even some of your own poets have said, for we are indeed his offspring. Do you know that Paul was quoting two different Greek poets right then? Again, building this bridge to their situation, identifying words that, with which they would be familiar and repurposing them for the cause of Christ and saying to them, you want to know the truth? You want to know this unknown God? It's the God who you really need to know. One that can't be contained in small thinking. He's way beyond that. And yet the one that you need desperately for life that's really life. I mean, Paul was committed to them. He was committed to their hearing. He was committed to a people, right? Devoted to a people, even more than just preaching itself or going about. He was committed to a people knowing their God. Maybe better said, he was committed to God's will being accomplished on behalf of those people. Do you know that we ought to be committed to God's will being accomplished in and through each of us? That I, our high goal is to pursue him and his fullness. In fact, we've tasted intimacy with him at such a measure that it's got to eke out at us as a burning in our soul. Like everywhere we go, we won't sit down, hold back, shut up until the people in front of us that are under the weight of overwhelm of life, 
that are buried in anxieties and hardship and depression. Like we care enough about them and the purposes of God in their life that we go about as blessing machines caring for those people in front of us. Now, what if we did that collectively as a church? What if this became an outpost for all of Claremont and the 210 corridor, uh, really tasting heaven on earth? And our prayer became, God, would you do your thing here just as it is in heaven because we want life that's really life all around us and use us to that end. What might God accomplish? Man, I love what I hear happening on college campuses around the nation, starting with Asbury College. What if there was an outpouring of the Holy Spirit in the Claremont Colleges? What if we availed ourselves to however God would desire for us to bless students in that way. And not because of us, but because of him and what he wanted to accomplish. As soon as I said that, some of you are like, well, it's it's Claremont, it's a right secular campus. And we begin to make God small. God's God. He'll do his thing. You know, Pastor Zach, the guy who gave the message that teed off really this kind of movement of the Holy Spirit in Asbury. He went home having bombed the message in his mind and he reported to his wife, well, that was another one, (laughs) right? Uh, It had nothing to do with him. It had to do with what God wanted to accomplish. Here's my sense approaching today. I actually think God has big visions for the impact potential of this church. And I'm not appealing to your fantastic And it's not about us. In fact, I pray that you would get out of the way and God get the credit for it, right? But God getting the credit for it starts with us being available to him to be the blessing machines that he intends. And when we give ourselves to that end, there's no greater, more fulfilling life than that availability to the Lord. As I invite the band up with me, let me give you just a couple practical steps to maybe respond to the Lord today. The first one is this. I I would invite you, think about, pray, consider, listen to the Holy Spirit. Identify maybe two people where you live, work, study, or play that God's put into your pathway and he's given you a burden to serve as a blessing to them. Maybe it's a person in dire need. Maybe it's a person that's just struggling with anxieties. How might you serve to bless that person? And then follow up, begin praying. God, your will be done, right? Pray that God would give you attention to him, that you would be vigilant to listen to. God, would you, if you teed up a moment, might I pay attention to that? Would you do your work that only you can in this person's life? And then third, anticipate that. That the God who is worthy, who does exceedingly abundantly more than we can even think or imagine would have his hand at play in that situation and that that person would taste life And life, ultimately, that's life to the full. Amen? Holy God, I just pray over this church. I think it's by your providence and intent that you've joined these two communities that embodies these virtues of humility and honesty and loyalty that swing wide their arms to welcome whomever they are uh, in whatever state they come so that they might be introduced to you, Jesus. And I pray that they reach their full redemptive potential because they don't lean on even the gifts as marvelous as they are that transcend this group, but rather they look to you 
and they experience Holy Spirit, what only you can accomplish so that you alone get credit. Might they do that, Lord, I pray in Jesus' name.